actually. 19 years ago, about 19 years ago, thereabouts, Jan and I bought a nice family home in the suburb of Papua Nui in Christchurch. And it was to be kind of our main family home um, as our boys grew. And it was, a, uh, it was a good home. It was in a cul-de-sac. And it was theoretically, you know, a good area for the kids because schools were close and shops were close and parks were close and all those kind of things. And um, we moved in there and that was all good. Things were going well. Luke is about two-ish years old. And then one day, we lose him. He's just not there. He's gone. Where has he gone? I don't know. If I knew where, he wouldn't be lost, would he? He's just not there. I can't find him anywhere. Are there any parents in the room? Have you ever lost your kids? Yeah, oh, you're, more, you are, you're better than the other people I've talked to this morning. Less percentage. You just go straight into panic mode. It's like, where has he gone? This kid is two. You race around the house. He's not in the house anywhere. You race around the yard. He's not in the yard anywhere. You race up and down the street. He's not in the street. Got in my car, went round the block. He's not on the streets anywhere. Go to the park where we go to play all the time. He's not at the park. Last ditch, ditch effort. Go to the railway line that we go and do Spain, uh, train spotting because train and two-year-old's not going to be good. So we go there. He's not there. Where is he? Absolutely panicking. Beside myself. Don't know what to do. Last ditch effort, we decide, let's go up the street one more time and ask all the neighbours if they've seen him. Go to the first house. Knock, knock. I, um... You don't want to come across like you're really irresponsible. So you just, calm. Hey, um, you haven't seen Luke by any chance, have you? Oh, yeah, he's here. (laughs) If I had just stopped instead of panicked and thought Luke is a very outgoing young lad, like over the top when he was little. He knows everybody. Everybody is his friend. Where will Luke be? He will be with people somewhere. If I'd stopped to think about that instead of panic, I would have walked that through, worked that through, and probably the very first thing I would have done is gone to the neighbours. I was doing some additions to the house. And, you know, you've got to get the resource consent, you've got to get all the neighbours, and because it's a cul-de-sac, you've got to get all the neighbours. And... One of the ladies, ladies that lived across the road was an elderly lady. She was probably in her 90s, and she was deaf. Deaf is deaf is deaf. And I'm over there, and I'm saying, can you sign the piece of paper just so I can build the garage out the front? She says, what? What, dear? What do you want? Oh, you're Luke's dad. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think she had any clue what I wanted. She just knew I was Luke's dad. Luke was friends with everybody. If I'd stopped and thought about that for just a moment, I would have saved myself quite some stress. I wouldn't have freaked out. I wouldn't have gone running, searching for him everywhere. I would have known where he was. My observation of New Zealand tells me there are quite a large number of Christians missing in action. They've just run off. They've gone somewhere. 
My question is, where have they gone? Where would you go? They've just left. They've gone. They've deserted. They are Christian if you talk to them, but there's not that much about their lifestyle that would really suggest they're disciples of Christ. And they've just gone, and I can't help but wonder where they would go. It's easy to get all panicky about it. Where have they gone? What do they do? Help! Uh, uh, uh. Just stop and think for a minute. Where would, they go? where would you go? It's worth asking, isn't it? Where would you go? And I'm not talking about sin, necessarily. It's easy just to drop there. I'm talking about what preoccupies them now. What's in their thinking? What's in their minds? What's motivating them now? Why is it that suddenly they're missing in action? They're not there anymore. They've gone. Their priorities have changed. Ah, they might tell you Jesus is still the centre of their life, but their behaviour doesn't tell me that. I'm not the judge and jury at the end of the day. It doesn't really matter what I think. But I observe Brennan Manning wrote the book Ragamuffin Gospel. And I believe it's a bit of a classic, actually. It's, um, it's a great book. My daughter-in-law gave it to me for Christmas. Haven't been able to say that before. And, uh, and it's, it's a really good read. He says this. He says, Getting honest with ourselves does not make us unacceptable to God. It does not distance us from God, but draws us to him as nothing else can, and opens us anew to the flow of grace. While Jesus calls each of us to a more perfect life, we cannot achieve it on our own. To be alive is to be broken. To be broken is to, be, is to stand in need of grace. It is only through grace that any of us could dare to hope that we could become like Christ. It's beautiful, isn't it? So relax. I'm not the judge nor the jury, and I'm not making any judgments, but what I would like to invite you to do this morning is to do a little bit of a life audit as I go. Do you understand the term? Look at your life. Ask some questions. Measure areas of your life and see how you're going. And my hope is, my invitation is, that as we go, you will intentionally take a step closer to Jesus. That would be my invitation to you. I believe that would be God's invitation to you as well. Our theme this year is wherever, thanks Linda, wherever, whenever, be like Jesus. Not new to you, but it's our theme for the year. Wherever, whenever, be like Jesus. And Jesus, of course, is a perfect example to us, isn't he? He's a perfect example of life, of relationship, of relationship with the Father. He models that beautifully and perfectly for us. He's a perfect model of how to live in a broken world, yet live called without compromise. He's a perfect model of purpose. He was and he is all about the Father's purpose. And the Father's purpose was, let's get humanity reconnected with us. That was the Father's purpose. And Jesus was all about that. And then he modelled, of course, a beautiful relationship with the Father to us. But as I've thought about that, 
wherever, whenever, be like Jesus is great. But if we don't know who Jesus is, if we don't know what Jesus was like, if we don't have an understanding and a picture of how he was with people, how he interacted, because he walked, remember, amongst us. He interacted with people. He did stuff. He spoke to people. He worked miracles. He, he cared for people. He was in relationship with people. If we don't understand what he was like, it's very, very hard for us to imitate him. And so the Gospels are the best place to go, of course, to get a knowledge of Jesus, what he was like, who he is, and how he did stuff. And in particular, this year, we're going to look at Luke's Gospel because Luke's Gospel kind of lifts the human side of Jesus a little bit more. It gives us some insight into what he was like, how he actually interacted with people and how he spoke to people and, and the things he did. Because one of my concerns is that Matthew 7 tells us at the end of time, many will stand before the Lord and go, Lord, Lord, we did A, B, C, D, E, F. And he'll go, yeah, but I didn't know you. Well, you're not, you were not known to me. I don't want anybody to not be known to him. It's got to be rooted. Our, our journey, our Christian faith journey has got to be rooted in relationship with Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ with the Father. And it can't just be theory. So my prayer is as we look into Jesus' life, there'll be some stuff in here that we can take hold of and there'll be some uh, some, some actual things we can go, well, I can do that this week, which will help me imitate Christ, help me imitate what he was like, will help his nature become my nature. I can grow in that. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, 41 to, 54, uh, 41 to 52 today. And just hopefully pull a couple of things out of there. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would anoint your word afresh, that as we hear your word, as we look into your word, you will plant seeds in our lives, that you will drop thoughts into our hearts and minds that will cause us to gaze upon you, Jesus, in a slightly different way, in a way that is bigger, in a way that is more full, in a way that captivates us more than ever before. So Holy Spirit, I not only ask you, but I invite you to minister to every person in this place today. In Jesus' name. Luke chapter 2, 41. Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. Pastor Ray covered that with you last week. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, now if you're a parent, you're kind of frantic by that point. Two hours is one thing. Three hours, three days. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting amongst the religious teachers, listening to him, uh, them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, 
when your mother calls you son, you're in trouble. Son, his mother said, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Or probably a better translation of that is, didn't you know that I must be about my father's affairs? But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and all the people. I've got three, th three thoughts this morning. The first is this. Don't assume. Don't assume. Mary and Joseph assumed that Jesus were, was with them. They didn't know. They just simply assumed that he was with them. There's an old saying that says, if you assume, you make an ass out of you and an ass out of me. And it's so true, isn't it? When we assume what we do, we end up causing great stress in our lives and in the lives of others. And Jesus, this, this is what happened to the story here. It, it's, I would have saved myself a great deal of stress losing Luke if I just sat down and thought about it before I got all stressed out and assumed that he was lost instead of assuming he was at the neighbours or doing the facts to work out that he was at the neighbours. Joseph and Mary's assumption of Jesus led them to great distress. And they didn't need to be distressed because Jesus said, well, why, why did you even need to search for me? Surely you knew where I was. But they just assumed he was lost. We assume heaps in life, don't we? Ray talked last week about our habits, Pastor Ray, and that basically 40% of our behaviours uh, flow out of habits. We don't even think about them. We just do, we assume a whole lot of things. And whether we assume or whether we are intentional actually changes our disposition toward whatever's happening significantly. Coming to church this morning, we assume that the worship team are going to sing in tune. We assume that the preacher, hopefully, will have something worth listening to. We assume that the coffee on the machine will be good, and we assume that because we're all together, God's presence may be amongst us and show up. So we assume it'll be good, but if it's not, oh well. Kind of was only assuming anyway. It's kind of expected it to be average. But if you came with intention, things would be quite different, wouldn't they? If you came with intention, if you came understanding that the promise of God is where two or three are gathered, he is amongst them. I wouldn't assume anything was going to happen. Because I would be going, I'm coming with two or three, and where we are, the presence of God will be, anything is possible. The coffee will be good, yes. I hope. It was good. It was good. Great. The coffee will be good. Yes. The worship team will be fantastic. Yes. But if I'm in... Oh, this, I just dodged that. But, this, the, the, but if I've got intention, my disposition, my approach to it is completely different than if I assume. Mary and Joseph assumed. And their assumptions led to great... Stress. I wonder what areas in your life 
are under great stress simply because you've made some assumptions that would have been quite good if you'd thought it through. That's a practical thing. What areas of your life? This morning, what I really want you to do is a bit of a life audit. You know, I want you to take stock. I want you to measure. I want you to look at your own life. As I said, there's no judge and jury. This is just you do it. Talk to God about it. But what areas of your life are under duress because you've assumed... If I just assume Jan and what she'll do in our marriage, my home of peace will not be a home of peace for long. Will it? It just won't be. If, if I just assume, if I, because if I'm assuming I'm taking for granted, if I just assume she'll do this or that, it's not going to be good. But if I'm intentional about the way we communicate and about the way we see she likes communication, <laughs> and that it'll, I will have my home of peace. The stress, the de-stress will go. Second thought is this. They didn't miss him at first. I reckon that we don't miss the absence or perceived absence of Jesus in our lives in all sorts of areas at first. Because we're assuming stuff. Because we're on autopilot. We just we one of the major reasons that we don't miss him is because we're so busy. Busy, busy, busy. Someone asked me a couple of months ago, they said, Sheridan, how's your week been? And I said, busy, crazy busy. And they said to me, you know what busy means, the acronym, don't you? And I said, no, but I'm about to find out. And they said, busy, being under Satan's yoke. That's quite heavy, eh? I thought it was heavy at the time. I thought, yeah, thanks for nothing. <laughs> being under Satan's yoke. So I've worked really hard between then and now, and if you ask me, is my life busy? I'll say, no, it's full. Because <laughs> language is important. I have a full life, but that's okay. Nothing wrong with a full life. But I think this is right, though. That now, busyness. We don't see... So your speech. Is Jesus missing in your speech? What do you mean is Jesus missing in your speech? Well, if Jesus is in your speech, you'll speak kingdom language. And if he's not in your speech, the language you speak is not kingdom language. Because there's an absence of Jesus in your speech. What do you mean, Sheridan? Oh, my asthma is killing me lately. Your asthma? I thought Jesus died on the cross for asthma. And every other sickness, by his stripes we are healed. Kingdom language may be, this jolly asthma is trying to get me, and I'm not going to have a bar of it, but I don't own it. The second I own it, I've got it. My this, my that, I hear it all the time. It makes me, it's one of those things that racks me up, really. It's not yours at all. Jesus paid for it on the cross. It's his to take away not yours to own. Is Jesus in your speech? Or is he kind of dropped out there somewhere? What about our thinking or our behaviours or our attitudes, our generosity? Is Jesus in there or has he kind of lost him somewhere along the way? Because here's the deal. We're disciples of Christ, yes? You're getting too quiet. We're disciples of Christ, aren't we not? 
Thank you. Which means we are Christians. Yes? What does Christian mean? Little Christ, basically. Imitators of Christ. Yes? You with me? You okay? We're on the same page. We're imitators of Christ. Does Christ have a reputation? Yes, he does. Is his reputation good? Yes, it is. As little Christ, imitators of Christ, is it not our job as disciples of Christ to ensure that his reputation stays intact? Great. So anything I am about to do, or about, this is so easy to talk about and so hard to do, anything, anything I am about to do, or I am about to say, that does not keep Jesus' reputation intact, but actually pulls it down, is lacking, I've lost Jesus somewhere, haven't I? Make sense? Yeah, you're thinking about that a little bit harder now. It, it, it's right, isn't it? It's right. But here's the good news, is they didn't miss him at first. At first. But the penny dropped. Heck, Jesus isn't here. Jesus isn't amongst us. Jesus is no longer in my speech or my thinking or my behavior, my attitude to generosity. Maybe Jesus is no longer in my purpose or my kingdom focus or my courage or my belonging or my big-heartedness. I've lost them. But the good news is that Jesus is really, really easy to find. Because he was where he'd always be. He actually said in the scripture, he said, our natural reaction is to panic. Ah, I've lost Jesus. Where's he gone? Ah. Well, he's probably gone nowhere. You've shifted for a start. But, but we react, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Jesus said to his mother, he said, why are you even looking for me? You know where I'll be. I'm with my father. I'm about my father's stuff. Which leads me to think this, instead of panicking, you can do two things when you lose something. You can backtrack. I'm really good at this with my car keys. And then Jan normally finds them. But, but you can backtrack to where you last knew you had them, and you may find them, eh? So that's, a, that's okay. That's a good way to find. Maybe you need to backtrack to where you lost Jesus in your speech or your thinking or something. Well, when did it change? What occurred? Do I need to go back there? Well, here's another way, and this would be my recommendation. Go straight to the Father. Because you go to the Father, Jesus is there. Because Jesus is always with the Father. That place of intimacy. Oh, the wheels have really fallen off for me there. My speech has really gone to custard. Okay, Father, I really need help in that. I need to help me replace these words with kingdom words. Oh my goodness, look, Jesus is here too. Because that's where he is. Seated by the right hand of the Father. He's always there. You can't find Jesus? Go to the Father. You'll find Jesus. He's right there. And of course, the Holy Spirit is the one that we're interacting with the whole way. Bringing it all together. He says to his parents, I can't believe you even went looking for me. You knew where I'd be. Maybe he's saying to us, I can't believe you're even in a flap. Looking, you know where I am. Just position yourself in that place of intimacy with the Father. You'll find Jesus, because he's there. Third thought is this, wherever, whenever, be like Jesus. He is, he was, about the Father's affairs. He was about the Father's affairs, or the Father's business, it says in some places. Luke 2.49 from the Passion says this, Jesus said to them, why would you need to search for me? Did you know 
sorry, didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be here in my father's house consumed with him? I love that. Consumed with the kingdom. Consumed with the father. Consumed with right at the top of the pyramid. I find that a lot of people get confused. If you talk about being consumed with the purposes of God, they can't, they're juggling, yeah, but my job, my job, this and my, your job and your calling are two very different things. Your job is the vehicle God uses to supply your need. Your calling is why you exist. For some people, they're quite closely linked. And you can outwork your calling within whatever job you're in. But they are two very different things. And often we can get confused. Oh, but I need to, my job. No, just wait. You exist for your calling. And then your job is about facilitating everything you do. Because the model of Jesus is he was consumed with the affairs of his father. And we can be consumed through any avenue. We can outwork that. If we understand that's what our calling is. The job pays you. The calling's what you're born for. Many people don't know what their calling is, but if I came and sat with you at, say, three in the morning, probably wouldn't be flavor of the month, but if I did, and um, just picture it. You're fast asleep, suddenly I'm sitting on the edge of your bed. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> no, actually, that's a bit dodgy, that picture. Don't do that. Um, scrub that picture. Um, and I said to you, what were you born for? What would come out of your mouth at 3 a.m. in the morning? <laughs> Followed by KFC, no doubt, with you. What, what would come out of your mouth? Because the thing that you talk, started to talk about, that you could get passionate about when you really didn't want to talk to me, would probably be, carry seeds at least, of God's call on your life. Wherever, whenever, be like Jesus. Some practical things that he did in this passage that I think we can learn from and that we can use to imitate him. Number one, from the age of young age of 12, his highest priority was the Father's affairs, kingdom. That was his highest priority. I think we're called to the same thing. Now, the way that's outworked is going to look different for all of us, but we are called to the same thing, kingdom. The Father's priorities. Number two, he honoured the Father by honouring and obeying his parents. Those in authority of him. It's quite interesting, isn't it? It says, you know, why, why do they even need to search for, for me? Um, he said, oh, you know I'd be in my father's house. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. That's a good thing there if you're young. Obey your parents. Obey your parents. Honour your parents. Honour those in authority over you. So the kingdom or the father's affairs was his highest priority. He obeyed his parents, those in authority to him. He grew in wisdom and maturity. You've got a purpose to grow. It doesn't just happen. There are many elderly people on our planet who are immature. Just because you are many years does not mean you are much maturity. It just means you're many years. There's many younger people more mature than older people. Because somewhere along the line, 
the purpose to grow has been dropped. Jesus grew in wisdom and maturity. That means education. That means applying ourselves. That means embracing life circumstances. It means making the most of the journey. It means many things. But unless you purpose to grow in wisdom and maturity, you actually won't. You'll just stagnate. And that's a scary thought. Quite a scary thought. Purpose to grow. Purpose to mature. Purpose to become the person that's got. Actually, a really good investment there would be the conference called Legacy coming up. Funny, that. And finally, the favour of men and God increased on his life, which I actually think is a result of the first three. He pursued the father's affairs, he honoured those in authority over him, and he purposed to grow, and he grew in favour with men and with God. Amazing. Amazing. Of course, for us to journey, for us to walk closely with God, we really need to embrace the gift of salvation, don't we? Jesus came, he walked among us on the planet, he was the son of God, is the son of God. He died on a cross, an innocent man. He was raised back to life on the third day. In doing so, he paid the required price for all of us here to be able to reconnect with God. That relationship that was smashed in the Garden of Eden was restored because Jesus went to the cross. Now he says, it's your choice whether you accept the invitation to walk with him. It's my choice. Don't have to. Romans 10 verse 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. In other words, you will be reconnected to God. Do you have to do anything to come to that place? No. You just have to ask him. He's done it all. We simply say, I want to receive that gift. I believe you're the son of God. I want to receive that gift. Can I get that slide, Linda? Thanks. I think this is a bit of a problem for us. We start out, we're too young to worry about the God stuff. I don't need to worry about God. I'm going to live forever. I'm eternal. That's what it feels like, doesn't it, when you're six? You couldn't care less. You're just into it. I don't need to worry about God, it's all good. And then, oh, suddenly I'm working or whatever. I'm like, I'm just, now I'm just, I'm preoccupied. I'm into this thing. I've got time to worry about God. Then all of a sudden, oh, I'm in love or whatever it is. No, I certainly haven't got time to worry about God. I'll sort out relationship with God. I'll sort out eternity and all that kind of stuff. Later, I'm just crazy in love or whatever now. I've got relationships, I've got kids, whatever the case is. And then, all of a sudden, the busyness of life ramps up and it's like, I'm so busy. Man, I haven't got time to squeeze anything else in. I can't think about God right now. And that becomes, I'm so tired. I can't think about God now. I'm too tired. And then all of a sudden, the bottom right happens. And it's too late to think about God then. 
Because there's a decision we need to make while we're alive, and that is whether we want to be connected with God or not. And that's the one decision, well, it might be more than one, but that decision can only be made in this lifetime, not post this lifetime. It has incredible consequences. If we connect with Jesus, if we receive his gift of relationship and of doing life with him, which is the way we are designed to live, and you will live your best life in relationship with Jesus. Will it be void of hardship? No. It's not a rose garden. It is life. But the other thing is, if you choose to have nothing to do with God in this life, that decision also remains for all of eternity. And you can't change the decision after your bottom right. That's to do here and now. And I want to encourage you this morning, no matter where you're at, they might have missed Jesus, but it was only at first. It was only at first. And you can receive Christ into your life as long as you've got breath in your lungs. And it's his desire that you do and that you walk with him and you become a disciple of Christ.